I want to take a moment to let you guys know that I'm done with soup. I'm done with it. It's over. Game over. Soup, you're done. Because bone broth and bone broth soup is where it's at. It's just so much better for you. Like, why would you want to have regular soup, which is just you kind of simmer bones for a little while and you get a little bit of the flavor, instead of bone broth where you're simmering the bones for like 72 hours, getting all of the nutrients, all of the minerals, everything you need, and kettle and fire, they make them into delicious soups. Like broccoli cheddar soup of course i've talked about my chili way too much but they have all kinds of things even miso soup so regular soup you're out you lost it's game over you're fucking myspace and like kettle and fire is the next thing i know kind of people are kind of annoyed with some of the other social platforms but whatever you get my idea right it's like soup's done bone broth's in and kettle and fire does a good job of making not only the best bone broth but also the best soups made out of bone broth. So go to kettleandfire.com slash Aubrey. Use the code word Aubrey for 15% off your order. Also free shipping if you get six or more cartons. So that's kettleandfire.com slash Aubrey, K-E-T-T-L-E-A-N-D-F-I-R-E.com slash Aubrey. I've done a few podcasts with Aaron Alexander before, and it's always been in the capacity as a friend that I like to talk about a lot of different interesting things with. But Aaron is also a master. He's a master of movement. He's a master of understanding how our body interacts with our environment and how to optimize that process. He is just publishing a book, so I read his book, dove in, and tried to pull out all the pearls and gems for you guys to talk about with Aaron. So this is one of the most informative podcasts I've ever recorded. I hope you guys really enjoy it. Oh shit, in it, we're taking another trip. To Aaron Alexander Anonymous. <laughs> I don't know what that visit. could be. That could be so many things. <laughs> another visit. Except this time it's going to be a little different. Usually we just fucking free ball it and just talk about whatever. Yeah. But you wrote a dope book, man. I appreciate it's that. It's really good. I appreciate that. And I'm going to get to plumb the wisdom that's been embodied in your body and your brain for so long. Kind of what's made you you and that unique character. But I want to like dive into some of the stuff because I learned a lot of shit. Mm. I'm looking forward. Yeah. Let's die, man. I, I so greatly, you know, last night I came by your place or maybe two nights ago and I saw the book sitting up on your shelf and it was facing out and I actually had like an interesting moment of like self-love, self-worth, something or another. <laughs> it was a very fascinating moment. It was very special and warm and uh, I appreciate you giving a shit. Yeah. yeah. Well, I hadn't read it yet. So that was really just a in reminder. My mind, that was a reminder for me to actually read it, but I did. Fortunately, I can read pretty fast. So in the the moment was special. So yeah, was, yeah, yeah. It, it was yeah. it was a constant reminder. It was high priority. High priority. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna start with something because I thought this quote was dope, and yeah. I don't know where you fucking found it. It must have been just like looking up the word aligned. Oh uh, yeah. When your body is not aligned, the inner power will not come. When you're not tw- when you're not tranquil within. Your mind will not be well-ordered. Align your body, assist the inner power, then it will gradually come on its own. And that's a Chinese text from the Guanzi era. Yeah. yeah. That's like old, old shit. Yeah. Yeah. That was like, uh, essentially, it's the same as, as the foundations of osteopathy and, or in structural integration or rolfing and, or yeah, but Feldenkrais way before Alexander Technique, way before. Yeah. This like this is Qigong, Tai Chi. I mean, they've been on like... They've been on to this for a long time. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think our bodies have been some form of antenna for something more meaningful than just paying taxes for a really long time. Right. Yeah. But what's interesting is like of the cultures who've, because there's been a lot of cultures who've put forward meditation and, and yoga actually involves the body in a lot of ways, but one of the main purposes of yoga, and you can probably elucidate this more, was just so they could sit still in long yep. positions even longer. Yeah. Um, but like Tai Chi and Qigong is kind of a constant movement of the body along with meditation, you know, and that meditative like intentional practice along with pranayama. It's kind of combining like a lot of the things that you're talking about in your book. And that's like something that they were kind of, they kind of fell into yeah. or became aware of early. Well, I think that the most, one of the most challenging movement practices that I've come across is sitting still. You know, so I'm like continually like looping around and twisting in front of my head, my leg behind my head and all this weird random stuff. And I think a lot of that has been almost like like running away from myself, running away from something, like having this 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 energy that wants to get out. And something that I've found to be really interesting, which is a part like, you know, one of the eight limbs of yoga is that asana practice. And why we're doing that is to be able to mobilize ourselves and move ourselves so that we can actually devote more time to that seated, that seated practice. Mm. And that's something that in this, this movement journey that's become kind of like the most fascinating thing to me as of recent is what happens if I can sit still and recognize that throughout the day, everything is fitness, including stillness. You know, so the quality of your sit is of immense value. You know, we, we get wrapped up in what we see on the cover of muscle and fitness and men's health or women's health or whatever, which is typically people doing very like young, active, bicep, curl, huge, awesome kind of stuff. We don't really see so often people like sitting in a position that's productive for mobilizing their hips and their knees and their ankles and circulating lymphatic fluid and you know mm. that's not something that we think about so much but that other side of the coin of your fitness is at least half as valuable as the active side of the coin you know there are two sides of the same coin so throughout the day as we're moving around the world you know we pay attention to that but then when you're seated you're that's an active practice you know, so in the book, I get into, it's, they're, they're called uh, archetypal positions of repose. You know, so recognizing that right now as you're listening to this, this position that you're in, you're training your body to that position. You know, as you're driving in the car, as you're, you know, maybe you're taking a walk, whatever it may be, everything that you're doing is continually this practice where your body's, you know, it's, it's building up new cells and it's taking down old cells. You know, so if you can start to tap in and realize, okay, cool, like last night we were at your place and like the football game was on and all that stuff that's a great opportunity to essentially do yoga. You know, the meaning of yoga is use or yoke or connection. You know, so if you're practicing that connection in your body throughout the day, in any instant, it doesn't matter what you're doing. You can be in a courtroom, you can be driving, you know, on a road trip, that's yoga all day long. But most of us, we separate this yoga or fitness into this small little container that we do like 45 minutes a day, three or four days right. a week. And if that is the the system that we're operating on, um, it's its not built to last, it's not sustainable. Well, that was the overwhelming takeaway that I think I got from your book was that every little thing that you do can be an opportunity. Totally. And that's an either opportunity to be accretive or depletive, 
to your structural integrity yeah. to that thing that's the alignment of of your home which is your body which yeah. is going to help you align your mind which is going to help you align your spirit like every single thing is an opportunity for that yeah and it's a combination of i mean you mentioned there's one study in here where someone uh someone's i think it was like the albert einstein college if i can remember mm, but it said yeah. it was like the zen in the art of dishwashing basically totally. and there was a 27 percent decrease in nervousness and a 25 percent increase in inspiration when someone focused on the process of dishwashing the suds the temperature the smell of the dish soap yep. like that act itself had tangible results yep. on the biochemistry of the individual involved Right? So it's like, even when you are doing something that you're going to be moving in similar patterns, how you move through those patterns and with what mindset you move through those patterns changes everything. Yeah. Your filter on the world is, that's like a primary layer of your, your fitness to overuse that word. And there's another study that I, I mentioned in there as well, because she was a guest on the podcast called uh, Ellen Langer. And she had a study called the, I think it was called the Maids Study. She has a book called Counterclockwise. Mm. It was really excellent. Yep. And in that Maids Study, it was, it was a really similar thing. She told one group of maids, she's like, hey, by the way, all this stuff that you're doing, you pushing the vacuum and walking up these stairs, like this is exercise. Like you guys are athletes. And then the other group, she didn't say anything to them. And what she found was the group that was the, the athlete maids just from having that belief system that what they were doing was meaningful, all of a sudden they start increasing muscle mass and they decrease fat and their blood pressure gets better and like all this cool stuff happens to them just because as they're moving and they're walking up and down the steps, they're paying attention to the quality in which they take each step as they're pu pushing that vacuum. Actually, maybe not because Joe Dispenza talks about that study. He credits it entirely to the placebo effect. Mm. Well, sure. He credits it entirely to... I mean, it maybe maybe they I were more conscious. Both. I think that's a maybe part of they the were more conscious of what they were doing, or yeah. maybe they just believed with all their heart that this thing that they were doing was actually causing these dramatic health benefits, which is what Langer told them. Yeah, right. But there's a different thing between like I think they I think they could have layered in the Zen practice of their of their maidsmanship yeah. or whatever of their cleaning, and it would have been a whole other layer. So for one, they were accessing the, the mind's ability to signal to the body that these things that they were doing were productive and good for metabolic health and good for muscle genesis and all of these different things, as Dispenza talks about in that. But if they also gave them some basic training in Zen, yeah. which is basically doing every, doing anything as you would do everything, like it was your last act, right? Like that's why they have Zen in the art of tea ceremony and Zen in the art of like everything that you can do. Zen in the art of dishwashing. Like if they were Zen in the art of vacuuming, then they might have even more benefits yeah. on top of that. So if you can convince yourself that what you're doing is productive and that's going to help your body and you pay attention to it, well, then you're like stacking these different processes. That's it. Yeah, and then it's like fucking whoa. Then any any fucking thing you do, anything you do, you have an opportunity. Oh, you got to sit down at your job. Okay, move forward in your seat. And you talk about all this shit. Like move forward in your seat. Like contract different parts of your muscles. Yep. Hold yourself in proper alignment. You know, like and, and like do things in a certain way. Like pay attention to your breath while you're doing it. Like we have those opportunities all the time. Yeah, I'm realizing now that I probably should have named the book Zen and the Art of Vacuuming. Yeah. <laughs> Which I'm actually like, shit, that's like dramatically better than the line methods. <laughs> so yeah. with that, with that, um, you know, so stress is like 
associated to every kind of disease a person can have essentially you know so any that you you get into the root level of anything it's like at some point it's like oh stress of the whatever stress from this or that and it's really challenging to be stressed out about something when you're completely immersed in some activity which is why some people get addicted to sex it's why some people get addicted to certain drugs um it's why golfing might feel good for some people it's why shooting the bow is really really great you know, because as you're shooting the bow, there's you're so much attention. All your bandwidth is going into pulling that bow back, the location of my feet, the breath. Okay, am I breathing with my diaphragm? My, my ribs stacked up, my shoulders stacked up. Okay, my shoulders are crunching. I'm bringing it back down. Okay, breath through the nose. Okay, and just following that pin, following that pin. During that time, it's impossible to be thinking about anything else so you weren't thinking about how much tighter my group was when i just shot before you because like that could be stressful <laughs> that could be stressful to some people you know i mean but uh, no absolutely man you're, you're right and i think that's one of the things that we we fucking love about anything it's also you know <clears throat> it's also one of the attractive parts of being on a first date with yeah. someone who you're kind of vibing with because until until you've decided that it's either some maybe you decided someone you don't like and then you're like fuck it and then you're just thinking about your normal shit but in that kind of first date or that young relationship that limerence period as the scientists call it that period of where there's that new relationship energy you're so present with that person yeah that the presence itself creates this kind of honeymoon effect it creates this elevation of every attribute every hormone that you have and it becomes incredibly pleasurable yeah you know there's the novelty there's the the challenge there's the the risk there's all the different factors of a classic flow state so i think that's what one thing that people get twisted is you know they're with a long-term partner and then they go out on this this date and they're like oh my god the date was incredible well if they had that same date with their same partner but it was fresh and they brought that same level of presence and attention yeah it'd probably be even better yeah you know and so you could hear so many of those stories of people who leave relationships for this person that they started having these dates and like oh fuck yeah like that energy that thing kind of ran out because really what it was doing it was hacking presence it was smashing through hedonic tolerance you know or, or any kind of tolerance where we get used to the seeing the same shit and hearing the same people and so we like check out yeah and then like drives them back home to that present moment and people are like whoa yeah this person's awesome and so within that present moment stuff everything that i've described thus far is still the person occupying themselves that way is still going to be kind of clunky because you get to a, a point where you can kind of go beyond really thinking about the position of my rib cage and the position of my shoulders and the breath and all that stuff mm. and get more into like an unconscious competence layer yeah you know and so everything not we there talk, yet for me me I'm neither man no come With on almost anything if you're not there we're all fucked dude i'm not even close Are really you so me? you still think about it Oh man, I, I'm a, like a crazy person. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, yeah, I'm juggling all sorts of balls. Well, it really, <laughs> in all the ways, it really helps to just be around you though. Because even all right, we're watching football yesterday. Good game, uh, Packers Chiefs for anybody interested. And I'm sitting on the couch, and you're sitting on the carpet. And you're doing your things, the normal things that are... Fiddling them a bit. Yeah, feeling around, you know, <laughs> rubbing your foot, which you actually talk about. I thought that was funny that you just talk about your habit of rubbing your foot. You gave it like a special name. Do I talk about that in the book? You do, yeah. Oh, I don't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, you're doing your thing. And oh, the Venus flytrap. The Venus flytrap, no, yeah, where you like interlace good, your that's fingers. A, that's a good your, move. Yeah. You lace all your fingers up through each foot. 
People can see it in the video. You got to do something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're so you're Venus flytrapping and stuff. But I became more conscious of how I'm sitting. Usually I'm like a fucking blob on the couch, you know, and that's what couches are for. Couches for like are for creating the ultimate blob experience. It's literally called the lazy boy. Feels good. You know, like they named a whole set of couches off that thing. And it feels good. It's relaxing. Yeah. But that is like forming your body to these weird lumbar positions, weird postures. But when you're around and you're Venus fly trapping and you're doing your thing, I'm like, all right, well, let me like get cross-legged at least. Let me like. Yeah, I notice everyone's sphincters clench up a little bit when I walk in the room. <laughs> it's progressively happening more and more. I'm like, okay, cool. This is working. Yeah. One yeah. something. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's a little bit well, more comfortable now. Again, that's, that's a quote from St. Thomas that you have in your book, which is, I think I've heard you say it before too which is and i think dr dan loves this quote too it says preach the gospel always yeah. and when necessary use words yeah man so like watching you move and like watching you move through all variety of different things you're living the practice that you're preaching right like when i mean it doesn't matter if we're doing ceremony or whatever and you just get the inclination to to tap into your old ballet skills and you're fucking somebody twir- has to twirling around yeah. and moving you're just everybody's all high looking at you going like <laughs> wow i wish i could move like that that's yeah. that's really remarkable in a room full of men where literally every person could kill me i feel like a natural inclination is to start doing ballet <laughs> but it's 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 that it's all the other all the other movements you do which i think for some men it makes them uncomfortable because they feel like oh man they feel like threatened almost like they have that competitive mindset but for other people it's just inspiring you know because you're not doing it for that you're not doing it to show off you're doing it as an expression of who you are and it's like it works like you can see how your body moves in ways that are like man that'd be rad for my sometimes body to i do it to way. show off there's there's like <laughs> a um i know so recently i was talking to this with with kyle and but then that podcast got disappeared somehow so it's fine so this is fresh um i injured my wrist like five months ago oh yeah that was some, that was disappointing because you couldn't throw me up in acro yoga yeah well anymore. i still can do other stuff but but yeah <laughs> holding people on my hands is is challenging because i want to like nurture myself at this point right. at least with the wrist um and so something that i i realized during that time period because it's been about five months or so now that i since i've been able to do like the show off pick a person up over my head or do a handstand on something funny like a kind of like a look at me type thing um and in that time, what I realized is how much of my life I've spent essentially prostituting my body for attention and for acceptance and for ah. validation and for all of these things. So instead of treating my body as this vehicle for love and respect and appreciation and care and nurturing and all of those things that feel really good and are sustainable, I was more prostituting it for like, okay, look at me, this will, I, I, I have this idea that this is going to make this person like me more, this group of people or the people on the internet. And so that time has been, it's been immensely valuable in the last five months where I'm like, okay, like most of my tricks involved using my wrist, my wrist has been taken away. I found some other ways around it, but nonetheless, it's still been something that I've been able to reflect on. So like when you're outside Erwan, just gnawing on a giant head of cauliflower or that actually not even that cauliflower, it's that cauliflower broccoli combination that makes those little DMT spirals, (laughs) which what is that called? What is that fucking, what is that vegetable called? Oh yeah, you're right. What is it? Somebody knows. Somebody knows. No, it's like cauliflower plus plus broccoli plus DMT. Cauliflower smoked DMT. Essentially (laughs) you get that. And anyways, you're out there just gnawing on that. 
And everybody's looking at you like, wow, look at him in full lotus eating this fucking eating this Rome eating this giant head of Romanesco outside of Erwan. And you're just holding court out there. You have to be mindful. And I think we all do. We all have to be mindful of am I doing this because I want the Romanesco? Or am I doing this because this is a good look? Yeah, you gotta get out of that. Yeah. Yeah, the being separate from yourself. You know, that's like um Ramdas. I've been all hot and bothered about Ramdas recently. And kind of as we all should be, I really think. Dude, I can't believe I haven't been more obsessed with him no earlier. Shit, right? I was so jacked up well, when I, I mean, once. As, I was as like, they, say, as they say, like as the as the student's ready, the teacher appears. Maybe we just weren't ready to like everything he says feels pretty darn perfect to me. <laughs> I know, right? It's pretty wild. <laughs> but one of the things he talks about uh is is becoming nobody. And and you know, throughout your life you get trained from everyone on how to become somebody because they're all professional somebodies and they're fucking giving you so much praise for all your somebodyness all your somebodyness Ooh, great good job you scored 24 points oh you went fucking five from five out of six from the three-point line you're a great shooter oh great grades oh great fucking face yeah it doesn't matter what it is people are like commenting on your somebodyness yeah you know and that's something that i had i had an interesting experience using it was with dmt um, where I, I told you about this, where it was a sensation of like, I had so much somebody, it almost created like a block in a way for me to be able to, in this case, I was thinking about the book, to be honest. And so I was thinking about that information that I've, I've put together, I've aggregated into this one spot. My intention with that is it for it to have meaningful impact on earth as a whole, Western culture. And I would like for it to to perforate through that zeitgeist and uh, you know help people become more embodied, you know, enjoy their sure. physical experience. And but within that, the base, there's certainly some ego in it, mm-hmm. you know. And there's certainly some like when I when I got the book deal, there was there was a sensation of like, okay, yeah, I'm somebody, yeah, you know, all right, we got yeah. some momentum into somebodyness, yeah. You know, and that was the experience with when, with that specific session was that as you're infusing that information into it, if you have an attachment of your somebodyness on it, it's almost like, I know I told you this already, it was almost like the, the, the particles of that information that you're putting out will become too large for that, the filter of the zeitgeist. It almost like processes out or stops when there's too much ego attached to the particles. Mm. And so if you can write something and truly channel it like Paul Selig or maybe like Ram Dass or like maybe yeah. Alan Watts or all these people Completely that people are still... divorce yourself from the outcome of it. Yep. Yeah. You know, so, so, the, so I feel as though this human experience is about cleaning the vessel. You know, so if you can clear and polish your grass, each day is an opportunity to polish your glass and, you know, work on all the different, that's what we're doing when we're mobilizing joints, hopefully. And when we're working on our fitness and we're working on less, you know, anything that you're doing, you're, or meditation or relationships or I think anything, it's an opportunity to clean the cup so that it's so clear that information can just, can just move through it. Mm-hmm. And if that's the information that you're presenting to the world, the world says, Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that feels that feels true. That feels good. And in the meantime, though, I think it's important to not judge the ego that's a part of it and not like chastise it or not hide it. Yeah. Because that becomes even more of a disturbance. Right? Like if you if you're trying so hard to be the one that's so pure that they don't have any ego motivation, then you end up blinding yourself out of your own shame about your ego 
that you'll end up blinding yourself to the amount of ego that you have invested in the thing, which then becomes even grosser and even harder yep. to unwind. So for everybody, like we all have ego kind of interspersed in all of these things that we do. But the first step is like acknowledging it and be like, okay, yeah, I got a little ego in this. Okay, yeah, I'm out here and doing this pose. And yeah, I like that it, it looks cool out here and there's lots of people watching. Yep. And that's okay for, you know, that's okay for now. It's what the Toltecs said. I always say this, but it's it's their controlled folly. It's that moment where you can be the witness of the ego and be like, oh yeah, the ego likes this. And that's okay, ego. So you like give it a pet like it's a dog. Yep. You're like, it's okay, buddy. Scruff its neck and then recognize that that might be something, an invitation to transcend and be completely, you know, cleaned of that motivation at some point. But while it's there, acknowledge that it's there. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's that's another message that has has become pretty evident is um, the value in loving every square inch of your of your body, of yourself, of your emotions, of your mother, of your father, of your brother, of your neighbor, the person that served you coffee. You know, realizing that all of those people in your outside world are this isn't mine, but they're 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 children wearing adult costumes. Yep. You know, and and really acknowledging and loving all of the repressed anything, whether that be anger or repressed sadness or any of those bits, I have a strong inkling, um, and I've gathered this from other people as well, that a, a large percentage of the pain that we experience in our physical bodies is a manifestation of repressed emotion of some sort. You know, so if you can start to tap into some of those deeper parts of yourself um, that perhaps you have just pushed down and now it comes out like with me of me like wrinkling my spine out or moving or twisting and all this and that you know i found through like extended meditation sits for example like vipassana stuff uh if if i sit through that that sensation of wanting to wrinkle and twist and move and go for a walk or chew tobacco or go shoot the bow or go make money or go do Mm. something if i just sit with that um something more potent happens than any kind of like massage therapy or foam rolling or anything else that I've, I've experienced. And I think a a large part of that is, uh, just actually sitting with repressed sensations that typically you just wiggle around. Yeah. I mean, that's one way to really, that's the, that's the deeper path to get to those deeper layers and to not avoid them. And it can be really hard though, but there's a lot of other ways. Like I think one of the things that Borangi has taught myself and I don't know how much you guys have talked about it as well but he's always talked and you write about it in your book like a dog runs into the screen door which happens to Lobi a lot Lobi'll get excited run into the screen door fall something will happen to an animal immediate animal response from that trauma and I think dogs do feel like a little embarrassment and something like when they do something bad like you can tell you're like what'd you do you know like they feel it they 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 shake it out they shake it off like they literally shake especially like Loby hits the screen door shakes it out like shakes it out of their body i think there's a book it's called like the body keeps the score Russell Vanderkalk. i reference him in the first chapter yeah so the body keeps the score like we hold a record somatically of these traumas that we experience and over time if we don't release these in any way vipassana sitting in a long time is one way to release it fucking dancing is another way yep. just like fucking shaking it out going and shaking it out when something like comes in that we feel that constriction and we like allow it to like move through like give a little harlem shake to the to the business yeah you gotta harlem shake it out gotta harlem shake it out <laughs> man just fucking let it let it loose that out of your spiritual. body 
people that are too spiritual are often lost in their own spiritual egotism. You know, like Harlem, Harlem Shake is spiritual. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> That's I, don't, like, I don't get in, it. Move so it. In, the, in the first chapter, posture and personality, the first chapter is all about the way that your physical posture is a representation, the way that you think, the way that you feel, and how your movement is kind of almost like a conductor for your internal sensations, including your physiology, hormones, all that stuff. Some of that stuff's a little bit debatable. But what's not debatable is when you move a certain way, you feel a certain way. You even access different memories. Um, another, well, there's kind of two points. One, there's a, there's a study in there that I mentioned done in San Francisco University where they had two groups of students. One group was held in what I call the, the mopey archetypal pose. Mm-hmm. The person's kind of like head forward, roll forward shoulders. You know, they're kind of just, it feels just kind of like collapsed. Like if it's just, when they walk in the room, it's kind of this depression. Ooh. Yep. You know, that person, if they're standing in that position, be them happy, sad, whatever it is, it's easier for them to access more depressive memories. When they go into a more upright, what I call aligned posture, aligned position, um, it's easier for them to access more like upright stimulating. And we've talked about this before. You know, and all that stuff's been deeply ingrained since the beginning of probably you being like a single-celled organism. Mm-hmm. You know, your amoeba blob would kind of change shape when you're scared versus when you're open and love and receptive. Mm-hmm. Um, but in there, we get into... Peter Levine, who wrote a really amazing book called Awakening the Tiger, and he has a really beautiful description in that exactly what you're describing, where, you know, say a bird runs into a window or Lobie runs into the door or a lion almost gets eaten by a zebra or vice versa. <laughs> that would be that crazy. <laughs> it's just plot twist, plot twist, motherfucker. Some jack zebra coming? just fucking biting the lion's throat. <laughs> That'd be cool. Um, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. So if that happens, the the critter that's the prey animal will go potentially into like this immobilized state they shut down and then in order for them to get back and become full zebra or full lobi or whatever um, they'll go through this kind of convulsive shaky thing they'll wiggle out their limbs and the and then they and they come back and they move into the world yeah that's something that humans if a human does that it's like socially unacceptable because it's weird you know, it goes outside of that pale of normalcy, whereas typically most of us, we want to zip up our ties and we want to get get all of our lines straight and like, okay, suck it up and just, all right, keep going. You're a man. Yeah. yeah. You know, and if you do that and you have back pain, hip pain, shoulder pain, some type of IBS thing, headaches, whatever, it might be time to look a little bit deeper. Well, because it may be 30 years of that, 40 years of that, 20 years, however many years that you've done the same thing where you haven't moved through that, yep. then you have this accumulation. And that's why you know I lead a lot of people, particularly men, through ecstatic dance practices. And it's one of the most, particularly for men, I find, it's actually one of the most powerful transformative practices that I lead because men have restricted the movement of their body. Yep. So there's all kinds of stuff that's like locked in there. And when they give themselves permission to kind of shake it all out, totally. all kinds of things come up, even for me, you know, like all kinds of different emotions, different things start to move through your body. So when I'm in one of those states, like it's almost one of the, the fastest ways out of a depressive state or an anxious state is if I put on one of my ecstatic dance playlists, even if I'm completely by myself, I actually almost prefer that because then um, I, I don't mind doing it with like close friends, but when I'm leading, it's a different, it's a different thing. Yeah. But like when I'm just doing it for myself, you know, it always works. Yeah. But sometimes like, it's funny though, because sometimes 
it's almost like I guess I want to be depressed. Yeah. Because I won't do it. I'll be like, meh, I'm gonna fucking sit here in my mopey, mopey, mopiness, mopey McMokerstein. Yeah. And all I have to do is click my fucking Sonos and like just give it hell for fucking 50 minutes and I'll probably cry and I'll probably get this stuff out, but I'm gonna feel so much better yeah. at the end. And it's not because I'm like doing any movement in particular. Sometimes I'm shaking, sometimes I'm dancing, sometimes I got interesting moves that I'll bring out to the dance floor. Sometimes I just take a knee and I cry, you know? And I just like, we'll just like get in a pose. And for me, it's weird, man. Like in some of the most disempowered places that I've been in where I just feel like, everything has been i got nothing left if i'll just sit i remember there's a story that i that my uh classics professor taught me i was classics when i was one of my majors in college but my classics professor taught me about the roman soldiers and he taught me how there was different levels of the roman soldiers there's the young ones who had like the little the javelins the the pelums the little spears and they would go through the lines of the army and they would like huck their spears at the enemy and then they would run back because they weren't seasoned enough to fight and then there's the front line of soldiers who would do most of the fighting. And then at the very back, there was all the gangsters, like the Navy SEAL versions of these like seasoned military veterans. And they were just chilling, taking a knee. And that power of like chilling, taking a knee with their helmet off was twofold, I think. For one, it was hella intimidating for the enemy. Because the enemy knew they got all these fucking spears thrown at them and arrows and all this shit that they had to deal with. And then they got to fight all of these other motherfuckers with good armor and good swords and they're like the main people. But if they managed to make it through those motherfuckers, then they had the people who were so chill in the back just taking a knee. Yep. Just like, I'm here, I'm ready. If you make it through everybody else, you got to fuck with me. Hmm. And so for me, I think maybe maybe because that got deeply ingrained or maybe it's because it's a deep somatic pattern, I'll play like the most, I play like songs typically from movies that have inspired me, you know? So it'll be like 300 or it'll be King Arthur or something like that where I can Broke imagine. Mountain. <laughs> I get in a different pose for that. It's really access, I wept. Access. I wept. <laughs> I took a knee. But that pose of like, that pose of taking a knee and just like sitting there and breathing and like feeling the warrior spirit like fill me back up will like totally change my whole frame of mind. That one pose, taking a knee, mm. putting my arm on my knee, looking out and then like feeling that kind of fearlessness and that, fine, that kind of courage and that warrior ethos just merely from the pose that I'm in. That's Tony Robbins talks about that. You know, it's, it's like all NLP stuff. You're creating an yeah. anchor around a specific pose. Mm-hmm. You know, and a similar thing that that I I got from Tony is probably from another place. Some I don't know where NLP or something like that. But um, you know, when a person's stuck in the the you know sad, depressive, no one's sadder than me. No one's life sucks more than mine does. They'll hold on to that because that gives them this sense of significance. You know, so if you pull somebody's significance away from them, then you're like, oh, you know, you're like a, a snail without a shell. You're like, well, who am I? Yeah. If I'm not this sad dickhead, like, what's yeah, my personality? Yeah. yeah. You know, so it's it, within that, it's like tapping into the stories that we tell ourselves, I think are so immensely valuable. And something that when you go into somebody's home, you are meeting the person. You know, there's no separation between your environment and yourself. You know, like like Albert Einstein, his his quote is, or one of his many rad quotes, 
is the the what is it the field contains and regulates the particle you know so we get all wrapped up in our particle selves or somebody selves or separate you know inside of this skin bag selves but there's no separation between you and your environment there's something that caused you to purchase that mask and that spear and this naked chick with another spear that's Whitney <laughs> whoa <laughs> that's great (laughs) (laughs) i should have let you go on about that that way when we see her later it could have been like yeah but anyway so so within that though um i think previously i was being a bit nebulous with like oh like repressed anger and emotion you gotta like wiggle it out and convulse like a bird that hit a window in order to be normal again or you know feel well or feel like your glass is clear or all that um but it doesn't need to be some big ayahuasca trip per se, or it doesn't need to be a huge, I think all those are just tools. Breath practice are tools. Sexuality is tools. Running a long distance and going beyond what you thought was possible is a tool. You know, but as is, as you're walking to work, instead of staring down into your cell phone, which kind of puts you into that state that we were talking about before, maybe look up at a tree. You know, notice mm. the bird, the sound of the birds. You know, notice, like, take a look up at the cloud, the shape of the clouds. Allow your mind to go into the creativity. It's like, what's that cloud look like today? You know, going back into that, that child's mind, all of a sudden, you start tapping into your environment, which actually is pretty freaking cool. And you start becoming more tree-like and more grass-like and more cloud-like and more sun-like. But yeah. most of us are just more phone-like. You know, so we're so consumed in that in that that phone and the laptop and all the screens that are essentially just biting for our attention because it's a commodity. You know, and so we end up becoming more like currency for, you know, larger corporations. So when I was a young warthog, I mean, when I was a young man playing basketball, I used to get supplements from my stepmother who worked with a lot of Pat Riley's teams. And one of the things that I would always take before every game was a vial of bee pollen with royal jelly. And I could tell that it made a difference. And I didn't really ask a lot of questions from my stepmom back then. But that was one of the things that I pretty much always took. And Beekeepers Naturals have recognized that all of these products made from bees, including bee pollen, including royal jelly, including propolis, are incredibly helpful. They got the dopest throat spray I've ever used in my life. They have all kinds of great products made from bees, and they're helping support really one of nature's most revitalizing resources, which are the bees. So... Please check it out. Go to beekeepersnaturals.com slash Aubrey or enter the code Aubrey and you'll get yourself 15% and just explore. Try all this stuff. It's always worked for me. It's some of the best stuff. I just have it in my cabinet at all times. So once again, B-E-E, keepersnaturals.com slash Aubrey and you'll get your 15%. The... The thing that, you know, it reminds me of something that Paul Selig says, and Paul Selig, for those of you who don't know, he's been on my podcast a bunch of times, and he's also one of the spiritual teachers that I've really looked to, and he describes when he's channeling and describing what the self is, he says the best way to know the self is as part of the environment in which the self is in. Like, you can't know the self, and it's the same thing that Einstein was saying, right? Like, the field, the field you know, informs the particle. Everybody said the same stuff. Everybody's saying the same shit, right? Like, it's like, we can't. So then what environment we're putting ourselves into actually then is how we know ourselves, And that's why when you go someplace new, you become 
a little bit different because you're part of a different environment it's a trip you go to the beach or you go to the different place like it's one of the reasons i think we crave these vacations is because you at the beach is a different person than you in your office you know absolutely in a in a total way you know something else cool that another one of my spiritual teachers uh, was recently talking to me about that's ted decker Mm -hmm. what he told me recently now was that when you go to the beach you can either ask or go to any vacation you can ask yourself, okay, what can the beach give to me? What can this environment give to me? What can this restaurant give to me? What can this person give to me? And he's like, what happens if you switch it and you go, what can I give to the beach? Yep. What can I give to the sand? What can I give to the tree? What can I give to this restaurant? What can I give to this person? And that simple act, when you put it into practice, it actually allows you to receive even more because there's some innate quality and about being in that state of focusing on your giving rather than your taking that just shifts your mentality pretty radically and that's a teaching that i'm like okay all right like that makes a lot of fucking sense that's what i was talking about this earlier with kyle was was uh you know our economic system there's a really amazing book that i recommend anybody reading and or listening to um called sacred economics by a guy called charles eisenstein and gets into the you know the, the financial system that western culture is entrenched in is such that you know we derive value from essentially destroying natural resources in large part I mean, there's a lot of other ways to drive value as well but there's like a, a a metaphor that popped up for me that i, I thought was kind of interesting it was like the way that in relation to the way the banking system works you know if someone came over to your house and they were like, "Is your neighbor?" And they're like, "Hey, dude, like your yard's a little shabby, you know. Like, I like I care about the neighborhood, you know. We're just like I really like to take care of it, you know. So what I'd like to do is I want to I want you to lend me five grand, and then I'm gonna go out and buy some rocks and buy some sod. I'm gonna climb and rake it up. I'm gonna like I'm gonna hook this thing up. It's gonna be beautiful. It's gonna be amazing. And you'd be like, fucking absolutely, like yes, that's amazing. Let's do it. It's gonna raise the value of the house. Is the neighborhood happens? It's great." Within that, you know, if the banking system, if you go to the bank and you say that and you say, hey, can I borrow $100,000? I want to take care of the forest. You know, I want to take care yeah. of my city. I want, to, I want to do something meaningful for earth. I want to take care of the ocean. You know, I want to take care of myself. I want to, I want to heal my body. You know, the bank's like, like how, what percent do we get back on that? You yeah. know, so if you came over to that same neighbor and you're like, all right, I got this amazing idea. I hear there is some of this uh, stone underneath your yard that's really valuable. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to borrow $5,000. I'd like to dig your whole fucking yard up. Just destroy it. And then I'm going to dig that stone up. I'm going to sell it. And then I'm going to pay you back $8,000. You'd be like, no like no like not at all like i don't want to do that you're gonna ruin the yeah. whole yard yeah. the value of the house is gonna is gonna drop so much like it's not worth it yeah but you go to the bank and ask that same thing and, and you say like, i got this show forest. me a, show me a core sample show yeah. me a core sample of the stone let's yeah. fucking assay that shit yeah. and if we can prove it yeah if we we'll prove give you the it, money let's tear that motherfucker up yeah you know and so i think that we have a similar sensation of like this kind of scarcity model with with finances and materials in general it's like we want to take it in we want to keep it make it mine 
you know, but I think another direction to go, which I think is a way more satisfying place to be, is exactly what you're describing. Make it be like as you're walking out into the world. At first, it might feel a little uncomfortable because it's not so common. Um, but make every moment be an opportunity to take care of something. Every room, you know, it's like the Jordan Peterson thing. He said, said, uh, you know, how to play the game. The best way to play. I don't know. Paraphrase. And the best way to play a game is play it so that you get invited back. Mm. You know, in the present model, the financial system, it's like maybe invited back you know like like play the game that you're going to get paid yeah you know and that's not that's short lived it works out fine you know but from a long term perspective if anybody gives a shit about like the long term game with like yourself your family your you know your grandkids earth um if we start to augment just slightly that your goal is to cultivate relationships and take care of your neighborhood and all that um man it would just be really cool and it's, it's another thing that Jordan Peterson says too. He emphasizes clean your room, right? And there's something like, I think people overlook how deeply satisfying it is to even Im- to improve any aspect of any environment that you're in. Like recently, my master closet, the closet that I'm in every day, a couple times a day, whenever I'm changing clothes or whatever, it was like, it was like the ugliest room in my house. You know, I, I, I somehow, I selected the paint I selected doo-doo brown as the color that I wanted. And I just never fucking just paid any attention. Just has a fucking closet, like whatever, you know, like doesn't matter. And then I actually switched that around and I got some like dope wallpaper with these crazy heads that look like the citizens from fucking Hunger Games. It was like really interesting. And I put blue felt on the ceiling and I got a little chandelier, nothing expensive, you know, like a $500 lighting chandelier. And I put it in there. And that simple act has brought me joy dude yeah every day i go in my closet i don't turn on my normal lights i turn on my chandelier light and i'm like oh yeah and this was like this was maybe like a two thousand dollar thing all in which you know i get that's maybe a lot of money for people to spend on a closet and i understand but there's ways to do that in minutiae yeah you know where you can just do something little to turn something that's like a little bit of a bummer you know into something that you're like oh fuck yeah my fucking closet yeah i think it's many little fuck yeahs that you can incorporate into your day i think the better you know like that's something that i certainly have come from much more of kind of like i'd say maybe like more like stoic cheap ass type (laughs) (laughs) you're wearing my shirt all right you know so you want to talk about it i left it and you just fucking you're wearing it all the time no it's not like this is like my collection (laughs) this is actually just one of my shirts that i wore you left the state (laughs) you were gone you mail it back no no i'm that's fine i'm just illustrating the point that you're literally wearing my shirt you finally came clean today. So Otherwise, I would have just been admiring that shirt. Like, man, I, gotta, yeah. I used to have a shirt like that. I yeah. fucking love that yeah. shirt. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and so that's a large part of my my history is that sensation of like, there's not going to be enough. I need to, you know, sort mine out. Yeah. You know, and, and within that, I have like, there was one time I was out in Belize and I was doing this long motorcycle trip. It was like a seven month long motorcycle trip. And it was just, you know, I couldn't ask for anything more. I was like Dos Equis man of adventure on my motorcycle yeah. at like age 21. And then I was staying, I was actually living in a dive shop at the, like a scuba diving shop at the time. And these whales were passing through and it's like the only time of the year that they pass through. And I'm like, I'm like, wow, like amazing. I'm looking at videos and all that stuff. And they're like, yeah, it's only 150 bucks to go do it. And this is like month 
five or so. So I'm like fully on pesos. That's like 1,500 pesos. Mm. And I shut it down. I had the money to do it. Son of a bitch. I didn't go see the beluga whales <laughs> or whatever the heck kind of whales they were. And that to me ever since then has been like this metaphor for just like release, release, release. I didn't yeah. learn. I'm still in the process of learning. That was, you know, it was like 10 years of more stoic cheap assness. Um, yeah. You know, but nonetheless, now whenever I can, like I just bought this this bow, you know, and I got like all like really nice stuff. It's like Hoyt, like top of the line, all the things. And it brings me so much joy. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't need to be an expensive thing, but nonetheless, like the bow is a metaphor, your chandelier is a metaphor, all those things, like it's, there's a very, there's a decent chance that, you know, you'll die today, next week, next year, like within the next 10 years, like you'll be leaving this body, you know, so every day, I ideally, I think, you know, anything that we can do to make it more of a celebration and those little bits of glitter and like pizzazz, yeah. you know, like, like, oh, that's cool. Like, why'd you do that? Like, I don't know. Yeah, because if you do it, and the key is you got to do it for you. Yeah. Because there's so many people who do these things for some appearance or for some look. That's like all the, you know, some people buy fancy cars just because they fucking love that car. Like, man, I just love the way a Porsche drives. Yeah. Like, I just fucking love it. And that person buys the Porsche for that reason. And then there's probably 10 to 1 people who buy the Porsche who's like, oh, I got a fucking Porsche. Yep. But the person who buys it for the, ah, oh, I got a fucking Porsche, they're going to get no satisfaction from that thing. Yep. You know, it's not going to be this thing. So it's prioritizing your expenditure of money for that thing that's actually going to light you up for you. Yep. And you being lit up is going to be way sexier than driving a fucking Porsche. Oh, dude. Like what you're going to attract actually in a partner, in a business person, in somebody else. Like if you pop out of whatever that thing is that you love, and like you're lit up from it, that's going to have such a much greater effect than that ostentatiousness of, oh, I bought this thing because I, it's supposed to be cool or it's a brand or whatever. Yeah, true. Being honest with yourself. But that's the thing. It's like, it's easy to say be honest with yourself. But I think some people, and I think maybe, you know, I fall into this category at times. It's like, we're so mixed up. We don't even necessarily know what honesty looks like. Mm. You know, like, like, like be honest with yourself and be, you know, follow your truth and follow your bliss. I'm like, dude, I've been so entrenched in just showing up to work and, you know, working so that I can get that car and get that watch and impress. So I was like, I like, I'm so sacked in by that stuff. Like, what is my bliss? You know, I don't, I mean, I think maybe well, go swimming, you know, yeah. just like, do you choose activities that start wiggling it out a little bit, opening yourself up a little bit. And then all of a sudden those things start to come. And I think anything that makes you feel kind of anxious and makes you feel kind of, Oh good. I'm not sure if I'm sweating as I'm about to tell this person, this probably means you're on the right track. I had a, I had a, uh, someone really close to me who's a music executive and I kept trying to encourage them. This is when I first started floating sensory deprivation tanks. Mm. And I was like, man you got to try this it's like amazing he's like ah i don't have time i got all these calls and i was like yeah but you don't understand like what the the things that will come to you when you're in the float tank will actually make everything you do that much better if you just give yourself that break but it's like he wouldn't even give himself the permission to have that hour and a half it's going to take with that shower on either side or whatever for an hour float yep. because that was a waste of time where he could be doing something but people underestimate how valuable it is to like clear the senses and take that pause and then get into those deeper cycles of creativity and inspiration oh yeah dude i'm a monkey like i my monkey chatter i just need to be banging some kind of drum or don't you know something 
And when I'm not doing that thing, like I, I was thinking about this, um, you know, if I'm using cannabis or something, you know, something like that, uh, I find oftentimes this is probably a little contentious, but I feel oftentimes that's like my soberest state. You know, so my my yeah, my, it's like a hyper sobriety. It's like hyper sobriety. Yeah, I talked about that on my podcast with Luke Story, who was like afraid of oh, doing right. all yeah, of these things because that. he was sober. Yeah. And then he was like, oh shit, I did ayahuasca and I was more sober than I've ever been in my life. It was yeah. like hyper sobriety awareness. So there's, culturally, more there's culturally accepted addictions. Yeah. Cell phone, money, power, you know, all, all the, the obvious things. Um, and then there's culturally unaccepted activities, which is like the whole psychoactive, psychoactive realm. You know, and that's like, I was listening to a thing with Terrence McKenna, um, who he's just like, he's cool, man. Yeah. <laughs> OG. <laughs> like, there's so many of these people, when you listen to them talk, you're just like, oh, like he was really onto something. Mm -hmm. You know, and that one of the things he was bringing up was that most cultures, Western cultures especially, are scared to open up the usage of psychoactive substances because it directly causes the person to start to observe the underpinnings of why they do anything. You know, they start to observe their society. They start to observe their relationships. Like, why do I go to work every day? Why do I have my house? Why do I have that car that I, you know, don't even close to own and never will in the driveway that's stressing me the freak out? Mm -hmm. You're know, like, what is, what is the point of all this? You know, whereas cultures that it's like, no, it's like a part of the culture. Yeah. You go out to the desert, you starve a little bit. You know, you go out and you, you know, we're going to take this cactus or, you know, whatever it may be. Like, this is a part of you coming into the deeper version of yourself, like your truth. You know, and what you find with those cultures where it's actually instilled in part of it, and probably in large part why most people, including myself, have fear around psychedelics is uh, typically those cultures end up being closer to the, the, the breast of nature. You know, so they don't come out of the dirt that much. Mm to not come out of the dirt that much in Western society where it's based off of continual, this illusion of growth, whether it means we got to chop down the, the, the rainforest or pull the, these arbitrary rocks out of the ground so we can fly our planes or whatever it is. If things aren't continually inflating and growing, then the shoe drops and we're all fucked. You know, so if you go into a place where it's like, you know, no, like we don't, we're growth. Like we, I mean, we got, I got a bunch of fish in my bag. Yeah. And people are also in this perpetual action is distraction, right? Like if you're perpetually, like if you don't take those moments to pause, then you can keep yourself from actually looking at anything, you know? So that's why even, even taking a walk is something that people won't do. Yep. You know, and you I have, have, time, like, you have time like for really it. good, you have actually really good research in there. So two minutes of walking every hour, one study showed reduced risk of premature death by a third. Yep. Didn't do anything for premature ejaculation, though. <laughs> nope, sorry. Other other techniques. Nothing. Got to do some breath work. Got to yes. do some different <laughs> stuff. The, breath, the breathing chopper. No, <laughs> that's the breathing chopper. <laughs> but that's fucking huge, right? Like two, like two minutes, two minutes of walking. And and I Not noticed much, that when right. I was writing my book, that's my process for that. It's like write, 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 and then I got to pace. I got to like move around. I got to like move my body, then back in. Yep. And like that's the natural cadence, but in life that's something that's that's difficult to do and then there's another study a 20 minute walk actually showed more brain activity when they did that eeg or whatever yeah. they did than actually even meditation 
And it's one of the reasons that you mentioned, I think, that at the Apple campus, they develop these yep. infinite loops of walking. You read the shit out of that book. Yeah, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. Man. I mean, that's like, and that makes a fucking lot of sense because I have a little, I have a little cul-de-sac area out here. And every time that at night I'll decide like the moon's out or maybe the moon's not out, whatever. And I go do this little loop and I go down the little alleys and I try to like listen to which direction my body wants to go. I want to go downhill. I want to go uphill. I want to go to this cul-de-sac or whatever. There's a noticeable benefit that I receive. Yep. But but what's my percentage of doing that? I don't know, man. Like one out of every eight to ten days. Yeah. But it's it's weird that we know what to do. Like we have the tools. The same as me when I'm like feeling a little depressed and I know ecstatic dance will help, but I still won't do it. You know, and I think this is like, and that's a and you got to forgive yourself for that and understand that this is just a gradual process of just adding like a little bit more. A little bit more or of these less. or a little bit less, away a little, a bit, little bit less of the other things, yeah. either more or less, but doing a little bit different than you always have, like breaking the habit of being yourself, like entering into a new version of yourself. Yeah, we were watching the football game last night, and I was I was thinking, I'm like, why am I so captivated by this? <laughs> you know, I'm looking at it, and I'm like, all right, what's going on here? I'm like, okay, there's these shiny helmets. You know, and there's like everything's very bright, and it's like it, it just looks like very, I don't know. It's like in the in the bright colors and the HD TV. It's very like it like pulls you in, you know. And it's like all the stuff that is the most healing. I think it's like it's all natural. It's for the most part pretty darn close to free. You know, it's like with creativity. There's like a I don't think I have it in the, in the book. It's kind of a silly quote, but Henry David Thoreau said, "Me thinks that when my legs are moving, my ideas are flowing." You know, mm. if I'm if I'm out there walking, and you see that like the consolidation of memories, that contralateral movement, that walking pattern, it's integrating those hemispheres of your brain. It's it's kind of assembling your thoughts. Mm. You know, and so our belief system, because we're not a very play based society anymore, because we look down at play. You know, and I think that there needs to be a reformation of, of like what play means because I think play can be every moment. Like right now, um, if this is any good, then we're playing. Yeah, yeah, it's true. You know, and so if you can start to reform your perspective of what does it mean to play? You know, like if you're at the, the top of your boardroom and you're getting orders of this big CEO, the company, whatever, it's like, I mean, there's a good chance that all this is a, a dream. yeah. You know, you could be up there and you'd be having a good time as you're doing it, as you're you're building the empires. Like, just don't be too caught up in the empire. Like, yeah. no, this is a game and you're playing a game and underneath that, there's a lot of other layers. Well, and that's, and that's just being the witness to watching what you are and knowing that if it is some kind of folly, as the Toltec said, pretty much everything we do was that it's a controlled folly that you recognize like, oh, I'm playing the CEO game. Yep. I'm playing this game. I think just to go back to the football thing, I think that was an interesting experience for me because I've never watched a sporting event with you. I don't recall other than maybe a fight. <laughs> and the first strange. thing, the first thing you did when you walked in and you were like, Does this game matter to you? And it was like, it was just kind of like a <laughs> shitty thing to say. You said it in a nice way, but I was like, yeah, well, yeah, kind of, you know, like I know one of the players and, yeah. and you know, and then you're like, oh, okay. And then you started watching and then 
but you would start making like grunts and comments. You're like, whoa, I got into it. Whoa, you got into it. And that got me excited. And you're like, wow, like, what is it about football? I was like, well, you know, every game matters. There's only like 15 games. And and they're like, oh, yeah. And like hockey, there's 80 games. I'm like, yeah. So they really fucking give it everything they got because then it's harder to make the playoffs. There's only 12 teams rather than 16 teams. And, And you're like, whoa. And then your excitement for it got even more. And then the simple act of you engaging in that football game became accretive to your life at least it felt like to me yeah like it was like this experience that you were because it wasn't your normal habit you were like breaking the habit of you never watching yeah Yeah. of you never watching football you engaged with this thing and you really enjoyed it like i remember actually earlier that maybe it was the day before i think it was sunday actually um well yeah that was yesterday so there was the rugby world cup semifinals on and there's two football games typically i watch football i was like i don't fucking watch rugby and I, I don't usually don't watch rugby, first of all, because it's not on TV, but I fucking love the sport. And so I watched that and it was so much more like satisfying and enjoyable for me to like engage in that thing, even though I don't really know all the details of it. Like I don't know why, why they stop play sometimes or why you just can't fucking steal the ball from somebody and run, run the other way with it. Yep. It was like rules and shit that I don't really know, but like the act of breaking out of my pattern which would normally be to watch the morning football games, whatever they were, you know, and just kind of mindlessly do it. I was able to watch the rugby and enjoy it. And I think we have that opportunity to like, just be curious about so many other things and like give ourselves a moment. It doesn't matter if it's fucking cricket. It doesn't matter if it's any kind of weird thing. You just like give yourself a moment and like engage with that. Even if it's on television and television isn't the best thing that we can do for ourselves. But if we do it in a way that we're like, interested and curious and like looking and thinking then our brains are not in this dull redundant you know old pattern that we're used to and it's become something that's like wow that was a fucking cool experience stimulates us man that's why yeah travel is so important and you know that's like what was it there's uh there's a couple things i think is interesting one when you go into a room that you recognize your brain essentially caches the memory of that which is another thing that's mentioned in the 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 environment chapter of that you know and so it's it's like a more mundane task for you to walk into a room that is someplace that you're you're familiar with you know and so something that's an interesting thing that you can do if you are trying to stimulate some creativity with you know say a a business meeting or something like that instead of going into that common boardroom where there's like 13 people and a third of them they're like staring under the desk at their cell phone like just waiting to get out of here and it's just these white walls and there's just no stimulation you know they need to have like a you know i saw a video recently of like an elk that like ran through a barbershop you're like (laughs) bam like whoa like we're engaged new ideas yeah (laughs) you know you need some of that but but all of that is accessible just by taking your ass outside you know like i wrote a a a, i don't know i probably if i was being honest it's probably like a third of the book outside you know, so I was laying, I put a yoga mat down. I watched I you the, do I put, it in Sedona a couple times. Exactly. Oh, yeah, good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. proof. Proof. Yeah. <laughs> He's telling the truth, He's everybody. Telling the truth. Yeah. You know, so I put, a, I put a yoga mat down. I'd take, you know, as much clothes off as was, was appropriate. Um, and I would set the computer up in the shade and then I'd look out into the distance with regularity. You know, so I'm keeping myself in more of that like parasympathetic state as opposed to focusing in and trying to shoot the computer screen in between the eyes. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's the position that we're in most of the time. Time, you know when you're when you're stressed out the common tendency is to come back and at least if you're me is come back and like oh man i'm just gonna go and scroll through my instagram notifications you know like oh, take a load off 
you know, and what that does from a from a, a an ocular perspective, from a visual perspective, is it literally puts you back into that driver's seat of stress. You know, so something that I you used can do. The fucked up thing is, I use that as like my cup of coffee. I know, in the I know. I think that's fine. Yeah, you can leverage that. I don't know. I don't want to do that though. Like I'm, it's called I'm an actually, ex, ex adaptation. I'm, I think would be a term. I'm like that. tapping into the cortisol that comes from and the dopamine. It's yeah. like cortisol and dopamine to see what happened on Instagram in the morning yeah. to like get me awake. But like, I don't think I don't think I want to keep doing that forever. No, there's other ways to tap I don't, in. I don't think I really like. And then I will go into the practices. We both actually have some common grounds in the book with the salt water and the lemon and then yep. the sun and a lot of the same, the movement in the morning. I will move into that and that's also where I'll go. But that first thing to get me out of bed is typically checking the social media. And I think that's a habit that I would like to break. Yeah. But I'm using it because oh, I'm fucking sleepy. What's going to get me to make that first move to get out of that kind of like, I'm lazy and I don't want to get out of bed. Well, if I check my fucking Instagram, I'm like halfway there. But better would be to click on a meditation like Dispenza's morning meditation or do something else, yeah. you know, or go immediately into light or go to immediately into the water. And then, yeah, I'm going to circle back to the Instagram, but like not use that. It works, but not use that as like a crutch. Yeah. Putting isolating specific health practices in quotations is super strange. You know, like nature, I don't want to keep on beating like the nature horn because like everybody gets it. Like, yeah, um, you know, but you can stack all of these. It's, you know, it's like the entourage effect with nutrition. You know, you can take a pectin supplement, you know, or whatever isolate, or you can eat a fucking apple. Mm. You know, when you eat the fucking apple, you get this entourage effect of the way that nature has cultivated, not modern apples, but nonetheless, you know, what? <laughs> <laughs> you know like the exposure of sun coming down or maybe like walking near a body of water or jumping in the water you know or just putting your body outside listening to the sounds of nature all of that stuff there's so many health inducing variables that are all stacked up inside of that and your body gets it because it's since you know the beginning of forever yeah you know but instead we're sold and there's like a, a carl jung quote sorry being so quotatious um he said that the reforms from retrogressions are going to be uh less expensive and more sustainable and reforms mm -hmm. from technological advancements are going to be more expensive and short-lived so it's this fancy flash in the pan yeah you know and that's where we do so much because the technology is so fucking sexy it's the shiny helmets on the tv mm. Whoa, you know you're like really like and then you want to show people look at this technology you know and then there's we talked about this on your last last podcast you know like conspicuous consumption and conspicuous health and you know showing ourselves even i can afford this technology mm. you know i have a biomet and i have a infrared light and i have oh, look at my supplement cat it's you know i have every supplement you know it's like you look at that there, i think there's value in that because it sends a confirmation that you give a shit and you're taking care of yourself and it's kind of a game What's up, everybody? So I want to let you know that the Alpha Brain Golden Ticket Sweepstakes are still going on. And that's just a rad opportunity not only to stock up on your Alpha Brain or give Alpha Brain a try. Because if you haven't tried Alpha Brain, it's definitely one of those tools that's different than any stimulant you've had and gets your brain firing in an absolutely different way. And that's what our clinical research has shown, and that's what everybody who's tried it. You know, we've sold over a million bottles of Alpha Brain, and the results are in. It works. It's awesome. So this is a great opportunity, though, because if you get the Golden Ticket Sweepstakes, everybody is a winner, and there's a bunch of cool shit that we're giving away, from kettlebell sets to different other products, to discounts. Every single person is going to 
be a winner if you go to the Golden Ticket sweepstakes. So check it out, onit.com slash golden ticket, and then enter the code and fill in the entry form. There's going to be a grand prize for one of you, which is going to be a trip out here to Austin and on an HQ. So you'll be able to come hang at the HQ and do all the awesome on it things. So definitely check it out. Go to onit.com slash golden dash ticket and get your 30 count or 90 count bottle of Alpha Brain. I, I want to get back to the eyes thing because I think the eyes thing is a really fucking important thing because you've, you've been talking to me about the eyes thing because you're pretty fired up about it as you were writing the book and doing the research. Yep. One of the things you were talking to me about was we typically right-handers in particular will look down and to the right most of the day on their phone. Yep. Like you can look at how much phone time you have. Phones are cool that they track that now. I think that's a cool like update that came. I don't know when it fucking came. Yeah, mine's but, terrible. But it's like I don't like to look at that. A, but there's, I don't, there's I don't a long time, and typically, I mean, we don't hold it up high in the air like we're that one fucking guy who was holding his right hand to Shiva for forty. A Marbarati. Thank you for bringing Marbarati up. <laughs> this dude held his hand upright for forty. Forty years. odd years. But anyways, we're doing that. We're holding our hand down and low in our phone for almost an equivalent amount of time, you know, and so our eyes are trained in that one pattern. And so you're like, so to counterbalance that, look up and to the left is like a simple, simple way to do that. So that's caused me to make simple modifications. I have a great movie theater that I like, has really good food. And I'll watch like an average movie just because I like the experience there. But I always go to the bottom right. So I'm looking up and left to the movie. So I know for at least that two hours, I'm like counterbalancing the way that my eyes are tracking. Yep. You know what I mean? And that like... I feel good about that. Like, I feel like that's helpful. And always when I'm doing any kind of DMT or psychedelic, always like fat, like the fashion in my eyes is something that the medicine informs me to go take care of. I'm always rolling my eyes back and up and around and like stretching all of these things. And I can feel it like become really nourishing when I do that. So that was one thing. So thank you for that. But then the other thing, which I'd like you to explain is like the difference between looking at something close and then looking at something far like one of the reasons why we like these views yeah it's like panoramic so so it's there's like a bunch of interesting things there one your eyes kind of they're almost like it's like um what is that called reins of a horse you know so the ways that your eyes look that'll take your body and if you're chronically looking down to the right like that you can i mean people can even do it right now you can feel right underneath the little ridge it's called the suboccipital ridge and you feel those little tiny muscles in the back there and you just look up look to the side look around like mainly up into the side and you'll feel those muscles start to contract you know and so your eyes are actually they're they're directly tied to your musculoskeletal system the way that mm. you're pulled throughout the rest of the system you contract those muscles back there that contracts, that sends that signal through the rest of the body. So if your eyes are chronically looking down and to the right, that's going to send a tightness into the back of the neck on one side more specifically than the other. Now all of a sudden you have this diagonal rebalancing on the other side and that kind of like bounces all the way through the system. Mm. You know, it's just something that you realize when you're in those states where you're getting out of the way of yourself enough for your biology to come in and start to do the work because it knows what the fuck to do. Yeah. You know, like we do all of this stuff where we layer new things on top, on top, on top. And what we never did was, you know, we neglected to like listen. You know, in and a, in a mainly masculine dominated culture, it would make a lot of sense that our main route towards healing is doing. Mm. 
you know, and so that's something that, that I've, I've feel, I've felt re- repeatedly anytime I'm out of the way of myself enough, whatever the form is, it could be breath work, it could be sexuality, it could be psychedelics, it could just be having a good day where I'm like feeling more in alignment. All of a sudden my eyes start doing weird things and I open up. Jaw blood. too, jaw oh, for God. sure. Yeah, oh, you just, you're naturally, your body, you start to fit inside of yourself better. You kind of reprogram. Yeah. You know, and so then within that, you know, that the eyes, I think we've talked about this before, but the eyes when you're looking up at something close the it's called the ciliary muscles around around the the eye they will contract to refract that light so that you can perceive it and like look at like a like an image but when you go out to the distance you don't need to bend that light because it's it can come in at a straight angle and so those muscles can relax so simultaneously, as those muscles are relaxing, you know, so that there's a unnecessary fancy term called irradiation. People can do it when they, they just squeeze their hand. You squeeze your hand tight. You know, try it right now. It's fun. You know, squeeze your hand a little bit. So squeeze like 25%. And mm-hmm. you feel like, okay, cool. I feel a little bit of you know, contraction up my wrist and like forearm, you know. Now squeeze it to, let's just go straight to squeeze 100. It's hard as you fucking Yeah. You squeeze a shit out and you'll feel it down to your feet. You feel your pelvic yeah. floor contract. You feel every sphincter in your system goes, oh, come on. Yeah. You squeeze your ciliary muscles around your eyes. That's a little micro radiation that's going to be <laughs> sent throughout the rest of the system. And you're like, okay, Aubrey contracts. You know, mm-hmm. So if you want to open somebody up, have like a, you know, a, an open, receptive conversation with somebody, somebody's having a rough time, you know, it might be, it might not be, maybe it's appropriate to go real deep and close. But they might start to kind of ooze a little bit more like some of the, the repressed stuff if you take the roof off, you know, and you let them look up and let that environment start to hear their physiology. You don't need to heal anybody. Yeah. You People put somebody in the correct set and setting, like nature's got this shit sorted out. You know, you more likely will just mess it up. The more that you can remove yourself, the more effective all this healing stuff becomes, I think. And the other thing is, all right, so let's say you don't have, a, the other interesting besides a view, another thing is to put like a blindfold, like a good blindfold, like oh, a yeah, mindfold. Yeah. Because yeah. the mindfold is cool because you don't even have to have your eyes closed. It freaks me out. And so you can, it, it gives you enough space around your eyes that you can open your eyes and it's pitch black or close your eyes and it's pitch black. And then your eyes really fucking relax. Yep, you know? totally. And then you're in, in deep relaxation. And I think, that's something that you know you dug up some research and you were talking to me about this when we were in california in the czech republic they're doing this like darkness therapy which is like the classic go to a cave it's like therapy musu or something it's hard to say yeah it's like the classic thing is okay go to a cave and spend your time in the cave but there is some wisdom to that classic thing that they're bringing back where they'll put you in darkness for a few days Mm -hmm. you know and then people are having dramatic benefit from darkness therapy. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I think it's the same conversation as before. One, your eyes finally get to relax. Two, you're getting dosed up with all sorts of melatonin and all this like your circadian rhythms like, whoa, I haven't had this much because I've been blasted by blue light for the last, since I was born. Mm. Like I popped out of my mother's vagina and just blue light my face. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, okay, welcome to the world. <laughs> <laughs> this is gonna be great. <laughs> um you know and so within that there's that part um but then also i think something that i've personally had sorry to make this about me but i notice sometimes i speak in like we and they and i'd rather just like claim any shit that i'm talking about Mm -hmm. ideally um 
I have a bit of a fear of of darkness, and like I was saying before, like a fear of, um, you know, what happens if I'm not the monkey banging the drum, you know, like what's going to happen? What I like, I don't know, you know. And so I've had some experiences recently um, where I was using the mask and doing some meditative stuff, and uh, I was using the the ketamine therapy stuff, so using like doctor prescribed ketamine mm-hmm. and seeing what that experience is like. And uh, that was one of the things that popped up was like, motherfucker, you're scared of the dark, you know, <laughs> you know because I'm like, what's in the dark? You know, yeah. and I even noticed like I was like feeling like my eyes relaxing to that degree because I'm like, I'm looking and I'm inside the mask. It's completely pitch black and I could just feel muscles relaxing in a way that's like different than normal, you know, whatever normal has been. And I almost had this fear of like, am I going to lose my vision if I relax this much? You know, like mm. it just all these different fears popped up, which, you know, I might have just been kind of high, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're there. You know, it's like, that's the thing. Like people think, oh, weed makes me anxious or paranoid. Or maybe it reveals your normal anxiousness I and paranoia completely agree. that you're not aware of. And you're saying like, oh, the ket- if people could say, oh, the ketamine made me scared I was going to nope. lose my vision. Or, the- or maybe it just revealed that this is a fear that you actually yeah, have. Yeah, some digging. You know, it's it, just it, like it kinda, causes you to put the drum down for a second. You just yeah. lift down your hands and say, "Oh fuck!" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, what do I do with my hands? <laughs> I wonder. I wonder for you know, for me, I've always had, I've not always, but I've had a lot of trouble sleeping, which has gotten much better of late. But I bet that darkness therapy. If I like did that for five days, and all there was was like a a nice bed, and like I kind of could figure that out, and I knew where the toilet was, and there was food that was getting yeah. piped in or whatever. I think it would. And be all tremendous. I would do is just sleep when I slept. There's and- one in Guatemala. I was YouTube when I was writing the book. I was I was YouTube youtube research that sounds terrible but i was like looking at different videos on youtube of of that youtube like, of is... darkness therapy is real boring i could make that fucking youtube no dude it's, it's just interesting it's very it's interesting shit. man oh man yeah there was one guy that was te- he was just like this 25 minute ramp it was apparent that he had been in a dark room for the last 12 days and 12 just, days i think he came the goal i think was 12 i think he came out after 10 days yeah you know but yeah it was just this like very deep very present conversation about the experience and i'm just like you know i'm i like live in la i'm like okay like skip to the end and kind of see what was going on but um yeah it's 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 interesting well that's also what happens in a float tank you know to a certain degree like you watch somebody go and you can watch yourself i mean you, you can feel it yourself the person that goes into the tank is different than the person that leaves the tank yep like if you if you allow the drum to be set down all the time right and that's so that's not only darkness but it's sensory deprivation of all sorts so you don't you feel weightless you're floating in this water that's the same temperature as the outside of your skin you don't smell anything you don't hear anything it's like complete isolation of all your senses and it really that's just such a beautiful hard reset for the nervous system for everything like you come out of there your smiles are a little warmer your heart's a little more open i mean this is just you know i think they've done actually really good studies on sensory deprivation for a variety of different conditions but you can try it yourself and you'll and for people who do it they'll know like you're a different person pre-float and post-float yeah period but to take your um like more ramdas stuff like when you're you're when you die it's like taking off a you know an old, old shoe. shoe or it's taking off a pair of clothes and you know it's like if you 
I think it can be kind of scary to start practicing taking those, loosening those shoes up while you're alive because like have you ever heard of like free range chickens you know if they like you know they're in the barn this dark barn all day long and then you know they some of the places they like give them the option to go out into the range and explore so they like open up the door like okay enjoy Mm -hmm. they're like fuck that (laughs) (laughs) like i don't want to go into the light (laughs) (laughs) they've been conditioned they've been conditioned conditioned. yeah so everything like everything is conditioning man we are creatures of habit you know, so the sooner that you can tap in and step back and get all Joseph Campbell detribalization on yourself, go yeah. visit a weird place. Yeah. You know, and the meaning of, I say this all the time, but the meaning of weird, it's an old English word, W-Y-R-D. It's a, it means fate. So it means to be in control of one's fate was the original meaning of weird. You know, Interesting. So if, a, if a person is weird, it means they're not one of the sheep that are slowly marching off of a cliff. Sheeps don't really march off of cliffs, but... Lemmings do. What are they called? Lemmings. I got to change my analogy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I, I think I think being aware, again, it's about being aware of those patterns. And another pattern interrupt, we did it last night. Uh, you'll know the name for it. But basically Prostate like, massage. Oh, are no, we going to do that joking. right now? You've been, you've, been, you've been telling me about that for a while. Yeah. Uh, but we're not going to do that. No, no, no. <laughs> um, the, uh, the thing where you plug your ears and then you plug yeah. your ears and then close your eyes and then you basically ohm yeah. or ohm with mouth open or mouth closed and it becomes really reverberatory in your in your head what's going on there because that seemed like a reset in so many cool itself. things yeah so it's called brahmari pranayama people can look it up it's it's also in the book um in the i don't know what chapter that's in probably like the breathing chapter anyway chapter it's, four it doesn't matter, in the matter sound maybe yeah okay so it's in the yeah in the nose breathing chapter um I mean, a lot of things. One, it's putting you into that darkness. So it's a sense, it's a little mini sensory deprivation tank that all you need to do. Once again, most of this stuff is pretty darn close to free, including putting your hands over your eyes and your ears. Yeah. Um, and s- depriving yourself of senses for a moment. Um, two, you're doing a, so you'll say, I mean, we can, I mean, it's going to be a little weird. I'm not going to actually do it, do it, but so you take your ears. For I encourage everybody else actually on the podcast. Let's like have everybody do it. Let's just have everybody do it. All right, we're going in. It's going to be a little loud for people who are like, so we'll do it quiet. I'm going to go quiet. But you guys who are listening or watching, like do it, do it proper. All right. So, so all we're going to do is you're going to take your thumbs like, uh, like, uh, what's the reindeer guy called? That's got the Rudolph. Yeah. Sure. Rudolph. Whatever. Whatever. Anyways, you're going to take your thumbs (laughs) and you're, you're going to close your ears. So you're going to take them over, over the ears there. And then you're going to take your two uh your fingers any fingers really and you're gonna pass them over your eyes and then you're gonna take a breath in through the nose and then a breath out you're going to hum all of your breath out until you literally cannot you have zero air left in your body the last little bit of breath so here we go i'm not going to take a full breath in but you guys can That was pretty weird. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> but the 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 thing is that it, it forms like the sound forms its own noise canceling. Yeah. 
so there is sound but the sound is like steady and you can alter the pitch obviously is probably what you heard us doing if you're yeah. just listening and not playing along with our game <laughs> I <laughs> extra you strange to, if you, I you probably yeah. hate us right now i apologize <laughs> i encourage you to play along with the game yeah. but it's so overwhelming not in a bad way but it's so overwhelming of the senses it's a reset that it's it's like a little reset yep. like you're you're just like that's a hard stop yep. on all the normal waking stressful you know conditions that we might be in all the sympathetic conditions that we might be conditioned to feel like that's a little reset yeah so you're you're doing you know there's other things you're doing there one you're taking a long breath out so as you're breathing out that's activating more of that like parasympathetic side of the nervous system so rest digest all those things um and you're also incorporating sound so sound can reverberate and resonate with different structures depending upon density you know so if you think of a of, uh you know like an opera singer like crack yeah they can yeah. crack a glass you know that's one pitch that will crack that density of glass well there's lots of other pitches is that, that real make... can that happen yeah that's real stuff wow yeah that's a real thing yeah so that's so that's one pitch that can do that i mean i haven't actually seen that but i know that you can reverberate <laughs> the shit out of something sure. to the point i mean I, I haven't seen a person but i assume it's real i mean you guys could probably look it up and see if it's real it's real it's right? real it's a real thing it's a real thing it's yeah a real fucking thing yeah you know so 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 but within that so that's really high is going to cause that density of glass to reverberate well there's a dense there's a, a pitch that will cause this um, stand to reverberate that will yeah. cause your liver to reverberate that will cause your cranium to reverberate you know there's a pitch that will match the densities well which probably correlates to you know some of the sound healing practitioners with the sound exactly bowls that have different I mean, there might be other too but, but you know and, and that gets into that kind of oh it's woo woo territory but you lay down in front of a great sound practitioner who's doing that like our friend vilana mm -hmm. and who's singing and playing the bowls and like I'm telling you, shit's happening. Yep. Like shit is happening that is that is really tangible to feel. And like for me, when that stuff is happening and like you know it's happening, it's just a matter of, okay, like there is a materialist reductionist explanation for what's happening. <laughs> it just we may not have tested that thing exactly with the right, you know, mechanism to test it, but it doesn't mean it's not real. Yep. You know, so I'm always exploring these experiential practices. And then be like, all right, well, that's fucking doing something. And then I'm sure that if somebody had the money to like fund it, like what happens when they're playing these different sound bowls and they had the electrodes or whatever they needed to do to measure it, like things are changing yeah. as that's happening. Yeah. And then also being careful of what the lens of science is telling us, because typically it goes out with a prerogative of some sort and it will end up proving it. Mm. You know, so like, I think that there is a lot to just stepping back and saying, I think all of this is just made of a bunch of magic. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I have an inkling that this is all just a bunch of empty space and magic. Yeah. You know, and, and like from a scientific perspective, maybe some of that might actually even make sense somehow. But, you know, I think that science is slowly proving that to be true. Right. Right. <laughs> it's like just so a slow many process. <laughs> so many of these other Yeah, cuz you have to have a single hypothesis, isolate variables yeah. and do so many other things. It's really really interesting. One of the fucking really interesting things that I experienced um which I'd love to share with you. I don't know if I can get the device 
working myself yet but sky joe the joe patatucci has this technology called i think it's called plant wave and you can go to plants.fm and listen to it mm-hmm. and he sets up plays like, the plants right he plays the plants yeah. so the plants so he hooks up electrodes to the plants and then records the variances within the plant which is basically the plant moving water or nutrients throughout the plant and then he translates that to a synthesizer and the synthesizer plays largely pleasant music so the plants aren't playing the synthesizer but he's measuring the difference in what is going on in that plant right same thing you actually do for a lie detector test it's the same technology where you put little sensors on and then you measure different you know nervous system variations that happen when people are speaking the truth and people are not speaking the truth right it's the same thing you're putting a small current through and then measuring what's coming back but the interesting thing is yes it's very cool to listen to the plants but what's interesting is what happens when you start setting your intention and like start to interact with the plant and then you hear the music change and you hear the music shift when you like start to put your intention on the plant and obviously this could be just confirmation bias it could be wanting it i'm open to the hypothesis that nothing is happening when you're when you're interacting with the plants but it certainly feels like and seems like that the plants are recording some measurement of human interaction of intention but the thing is with science is that's not a replicable it's not a particularly replicable thing to measure to use a plant which can't be ever reproduced it's a single plant right it's not a reproducible thing it's a living organism so it doesn't really fit neatly in the science box but like maybe plants are actually a way for us to record and receive the interaction of our intention and plant might be the tool that we use to use that and i'm sure they can figure it out but that's just like an interesting hypothesis of like huh maybe that energy that we put out maybe our intention and the way that we're focused on something actually does interact with our environment to a far greater degree even from a scientific perspective than we recognize and maybe this technology will actually show that and that's what he's finding when he does you know he hooks his things up and then he has a yoga class or a breathwork class Hmm. and like the the sounds of the plants that he has hooked up shift as the people shift and you feel that in a plant medicine ceremony well, right? so the difference between people and plants is i just i think that people are in large part wrapped up in that like maybe plants have an ego i don't know that's an interesting question but i think humans are more wrapped up in that like ego game yeah um and again nothing against the ego it's like you know whatever it's great um but we're more wrapped up in that and i think our emotional intelligence is is perhaps maybe less than that of plants you know our technological intelligence probably less as well you know plants are pretty darn technologically advanced they're they're almost perfect yeah in a exactly. way in a so they don't up. have the they don't have the agency of choice to this to the degree that we have and i think that's part of playing the human game which makes it so exciting is we have the ability to choose so many different options and i think humans have evolved as a species that can choose more than any other species and that's what makes us so interesting but plants choose probably the least insects choose less in large part the technology that we create is based off of that of the technology that's already been created in nature mm-hmm. like that's where we're kind of stealing all of, all of our ideas we're like we're like tesla and edison you know we're like edison and tesla's mm-hmm. like like the nature you know we go in like that's a great idea you know it's like if you look and and examine there's endless examples of of 
plants being pretty darn smart. Um, this is actually kind of different. This is this is parasites, but it's in relation to nature in general. You've already talked about toxoplasmosis before. Uh, it's been talked about a lot, yeah. Yeah, so it's like that's an interesting example of nature being able to, you know, so it's this parasite, lives in the intestines of cats, cats poop it out, it gets into mice intestines, all of a sudden it wants to get back into the intestines of cats, so it goes up into the brain, it uses its own internal technology to hack the brain of the mouse to all of a sudden become sexually attracted to the urine of, of, of cats. And now all of a sudden it's like, cool, I got you, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Go-kart ride back to the cat intestine. That's pretty darn smart. That's unbelievable. You know, meanwhile, humans are here trying to like tap cell phones and shit. Like, yeah. that's behind the times, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's an op- it's a really actually gives rise to a, a sense of optimism about where we could potentially be going. Yeah. You know, tapping into the human potential, you know, covering a lot of the bases that you cover in there and all the movements and all the work with the bands. And there's a lot of great shit in your book that we haven't talked about, but looking forward optimistically is like taking care of all of this low hanging fruit and then getting ourselves to a place where then we can start exploring the fringes yep. and some will be dead ends and some will be like, yeah, well gave that a go. That didn't really work, but some will prove out to be like really productive and, and valuable for our existence and our cohabitation of the earth and our communities that we're building and everything. Yep. One thing it feels like we're coming to an end of this. So I wanted to mention one thing in relation to the book um, if anybody, so it's broken down into simple fundamentals that anybody, like you're pretty much already doing most of them. You're just not quite, you know, so something that's, that's accessible to any person doesn't cost you anything at all, you know, is just literally take your butt down to the ground. Mm-hmm. You know, so get yourself a comfy rug, get yourself some rock and poofs or throw a foam roller down there, get a yoga mat, like make your ground inhabitable. And then what that will do is one, it'll bring your family together. It'll start to introduce this 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 fun element of play into your home because now all of a sudden we're like, wow, we're like wrestling and roll around, and I'm like picking my wife up on my feet and doing acro yoga, yeah. and there's like I'm like I'm steamrolling across the floor because I got rid of that stuffy old table that we just yeah. sat shit on top of and kind of like walked around, you know. So something as simple as that, you know, humans we come from going up and down on the ground that's one of those technologies that runs our bodies that we've stepped away from and what you see with people that do step away from that technology of going up and down off the ground is all of a sudden there's more incidence of osteoarthritis of the hip of the knees pelvic floor dysfunctions fall risk you know i've fallen i can't get up that's a a new world western culture chair thing you know, if you're a person that, that, that toilets on the ground and eats on the ground and checks their Instagram notifications on the ground, then you will not create a chasm between you and the ground and your mobility and strength to get all the way down there, which means you will not be a liability to your children or your tribe or your community at some point. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that like blows my mind with this, and there was a recent like mind blowing moment um, was thinking about my parents not being able to get up from the ground, you know? And so like, like really like visualizing that, you know, kind of getting back to like stoic stuff, like visualizing, you know, something kind of terrible and fucking doing something about it. Like visualizing my mom falling down and not being able to get up, Mm. you know, like how does that make me feel now? You know? And so what can I do for my mom now? I can, teach her about the value of, you know, maybe having tea or coffee in the morning and like get a rug and set it up maybe by a window or maybe take a walk or check your emails and just get down on the ground right now, mom. 
Yeah. I bet you're listening, actually, mom. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, listen to this on the ground. You know, yeah. because I want you to have autonomy and I want you to have pride well into your hundreds. Yeah, it reminds me of a couple of things. One, if you ever go into a new house or you've been into a new house as a kid, it's so exciting because there's new there's no furniture. So it's mm, like a giant yeah, playground. Like whoa. like, whoa, this is awesome. <laughs> I remember going to look at houses with my parents, like we should never put furniture in this room. It's just carpet. And yeah. it was just like, fuck yeah. yeah. Like, this is great. Totally. And we actually, actually, my my mom, when I was growing up in, at our house in uh, in Camarillo, California, we had a room. We called it the karate room because we would do karate in there. But it was also just an empty carpeted room. And we, I spent so much of my time, me and my brothers and my sisters, like we spent so much time in this empty carpeted room. It was like our playroom. Mm. And that was like so much more important than any other room that that could have become like yeah, another man. formal dining what's room what's stopping us from having every room in your life a playroom right yeah it's this, only going to make you more creative yeah, it's create only going to make like you more some of those low japanese tables that yep. have like the sunken things that you go in or create create some like different like cool environments and then the other thing it reminds me of is when you go visit like indigenous tribes like i do in peru like watching how they're able to they do so many things from a squat yep from like a deep squat they don't so do always, we you know we just don't we but just like don't. it's like like babies have you know human fetuses they have little facet joints i mentioned this in the book um around the, the tibia the bone and down the front of your ankle there that's like your set your operating system from the first drop of eunice is to do a freaking deep squat yeah <laughs> like your body like your your millions of years of dna is like okay ray a squat ray a squat okay get them out yeah <laughs> yeah that's i mean that and that's what that's what you end up seeing you also have a cool test and that test was how many points of contact do you need to get down to the ground yep. you can just tell the test yeah yeah it's called the sitting rising test it's been associated to all cause mortality specifically it was done with with people i think it was like 50 age 51 to like 75 or i don't know if that was the exact age but it wasn't there was no 20 year olds in it um and what they found was that every uh, contact point that a person needed to you know touch the ground or touch their knee as they get all the way down and all the way back up was a significant indication that there would be some um, increased likelihood in all-cause mortality so like the lowest score people they were like six times more likely to die during the time frame of that study i think it was six years long you gotta like fact check me on the specific details of it you know, so but the people that they had a lot of trouble getting down and up off the ground, they're essentially starting to go back into the dirt. Yeah, starting. So that's so again. So go from standing. See if you need to put your hand down to actually go to sitting. Yep. And I can. I can. So I tried it yesterday as I was reading this, and I can go down to the ground without sitting. Although there's a little thud. Yeah. There's a little thud. Is a like, half point. A little thud, like, like a, a half. There's like a half point off for like yeah. a little thud as I kind of not so gracefully yep. you know hit the hit the ground but not a painful thud just a little like oh well you know that wasn't exactly elegant but then and then but to get up i had to put one post down i had to put one hand down and then i can kind of spin up yep you know but then the idea was like all right well what would it take for me to just be able to stand from directly from sitting without using my hand and that's like a cool like little measure yeah yeah it's a great indicator the other one and and you can hack that and get really good at that specific thing and still be a total jackass in the rest of your life you know so it's kind <laughs> of an indication of like you as a generality as a human you know without hacking the system like how do you do this right. once again that's kind of like our education system we're teaching to the test as opposed to teaching people how to be creative right. beings 
you know so like don't hack the sit rising test there's a similar test with a, a grip your grip strength and so it's shown to have a um, greater correlation to heart disease than i think blood pressure maybe mm-hmm. you gotta fact check me on that yeah, as well. there's a lot of right. statistics I remember stuff. That. Um, you know, and within that, it's like, okay, that's not saying go get a grip strengthener thing and just like, I'm like working on my heart strength. Grip strengthener it's in like, one hand and a Twinkie in the other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, that's not what it's saying. It's saying do shit that strengthens your grip naturally. Garden, hang. Like that's a whole chapter in the book is getting back to your brachy hitting roots. You know, ha- get a pull-up bar, hang it in between your doorway. Mm. Every time you walk through that thing, just do a little swing. You know, you can smile and kind of like do a little like, oh, as you do it for extra bonus points. You know, like introduce one play. I'm kind of being being ridiculous, but introduce play into your life in general. But just the simple act of reaching up over your head, clasping those hands and hanging, I recommend a minute and a half a, a day in the, in the book. Um, that's literally reshapes the whole structure of your shoulder girdle. So mm-hmm. if you're tripping out about, oh man, I don't like my forward head posture, my medial rotated shoulders and this hyperkyphotic kind of hunchback spine thing that I have, when was the last time you hung off of anything? Because it's the fastest, easiest, cheapest, most effective getting back to the Carl Jung thing. It's this regressive retrogression back towards like your roots, which is I reach up over my head and I grab shit. Hang out. Hang Fucking out, hang man. Out. Yeah. Well, Aaron, my man, it's always a pleasure to hang with you. I appreciate it. That's good. <laughs> um, <laughs> book, Align Method. The Align Method. Yeah, people can, depending on when this goes out, um, if it's uh, it comes out December 24th. Sweet. And so it's a, so a, a great pre-order, get it. gift yep. for yourself or anybody that you give a dang about. Get it for your parents. It was a great book, man. I really, really got a lot out of it, as I hope people can hear from this. But um, fucking... There's very few things that are more important than understanding ourselves. I'm with that. You know what I mean? Like get that da- get that down first. Yeah. You know, like get that down as like a priority of like knowing yourself. And then, you know, we can play chess in all the world games and there's plenty of books about all the ways that we can play chess financially and romantically and all the different other ways, but really get down to the roots of knowing yourself and uh, and who we are and how to get in that most aligned state. I mean, very few things that I'd put up as more important than that. So I yeah. appreciate you and your work, man. At some point, your health, I didn't come up with this either, but at some point, your health will absolutely, undoubtedly be the most important thing to you. Yep. You know, and I've heard like, uh, I might mess this one up too. The, a person with, with their health has many dreams. A person without their health has only one. You know, so at some point, you, you will be that person that your only dream is to get your health back. Yep. You know, so the sooner that you can start making these small, tiny little titrates of change in your life, get a floor cushion, get a pull-up bar, start utilizing your hips correctly, all the crap that's in there, um, the less likely you are to have to deal with that moment where someone else has to take care of you because you've paid attention enough throughout your life. Oh. 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 If, oh, man. If um, can I mention people, the, they can go to thealignbook.com to grab it if, for, the, for the pre-order. That's, that'd be like bonuses and all that stuff. Bonuses. And when the book's out, also, um, anytime, it always helps an author buy it from a bookstore, too. That's oh, also a rad thing to do for an author because um, that helps get the books out in bookstores. It's book interesting all these things you learn as like a podcast host or a author of a book. You know, it's like reviews matter. Yeah. 
yeah, 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 for sure. Like as a consumer of information, I'm like, oh, whatever. This guy's he's probably some rich asshole. Like what? I was like, uh, uh-uh. like every review, like I read it, and I'm like, <laughs> yeah. oh, <laughs> yeah, no doubt, man. All that, yeah, those all that little stuff really, things, all that stuff really helps. Potentials of like helping each other out. It's good. Yeah, you know, if it's supporting, what's well, shooting out there. Well, thank you, my brother. I appreciate you, man. Let's go eat some chili. Let's do it. All right. Bye. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to Aaron and I. Please, as always, we love it if you leave a review. And of course, if you're interested in Aaron's book, it's called The Aligned Method, and it's available everywhere. Thank you so much, fam. I love you guys. Have a great holiday, and we'll see you with a brand new podcast that's going to be one of the most important podcasts I've ever released with Kamal Ravikant on January 1st. So we will have a Christmas re-release coming up. For those of you interested in the true origin of the Christmas Santa mushroom story, we'll have that out on Christmas Day. And then January 1st, set alarm, get ready, because it's going to be an amazing podcast on self-love with Kamal Ravikant.